Hi everybody, this is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. You know, it seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. I'm not sure how it began, but explosives, incendiaries, and burning colorful fire have fascinated me for as long as I can remember. I was born two days before July 4th, so I can imagine that I heard the incredible but quite normal barrage of fireworks in East Harlem in utero. I was born a couple of weeks premature, no, no doubt I wanted to be out before the 4th. This newborn wasn't going to miss the fireworks. If you're a fan of this podcast, you've heard numerous tales of my pyrotechnic and pyromania tendencies, from lighting a coffee can full of gunpowder in the middle of 118th Street, to go back to uh, way back to episode two, uh, to almost burning my yard and Holy Rosary Church down, and check out episode 29. I have much to the chagrin of my parents, tripped the fire fantastic my entire kidhood. Troubles down the drain. There was a plumber on my block who sold fireworks. We'll call him the Gurk to protect the soul of the dead. He kept them stored in various locations, but I do remember there was a small beat-up truck in an abandoned lot, sealed with a giant padlock, where I'd receive my order on more than one occasion. Scott and I would walk down with McGurk's son, and he'd unlock the back. And when that rusty door squealed open, the sight of cases and cases of silver jets and rockets, festival balls, firecrackers, and it, it just sent the gunpowder in my blood sparkling. So McGurk was a plumber, but if I ever saw him with a wrench in his hands, it, it may have been a mirage. He would sit on a backwards chair in his front gate, chatting with everyone who passed. Scott and I would hang around his building, asking what new rocks he had or, or how much a brick cost. He was a nice guy. It was the late 70s, I guess. July 4th was going in full gear. Let me explain what was typical in East Harlem in the 70s around the 4th. Every night, a week or so leading up to the big night, the mats would be unrolled down 118th Street and on Pleasant Avenue. Now a mat, for the uninitiated, was a roll of thousands of firecrackers. How many thousands? No one knows, not even the manufacturers. It's a mystery, and that's how we liked it. And when this thing got going with the touch of a glowing cigar to its fuse, a flare of flame would glow, sending off plumes of white, sulfur-scented smoke, and a sound, a, a roar, made up of endless firecrackers going off at the same time, and this filled the block like a solid object, a living form.
you stood close, you could not hear your own voice speak. Even your inner monologue was drowned out and had to wait for the silence. And when the silence came, your ears, the air itself rang for a while. But the mat was not all that was going on. While the trillion and a half firecrackers screamed, M80s were lit and tossed into the fray. M80s or, or blockbusters, the term often got mixed up, but in any event, they were all a quarter of a stick of dynamite. And they were loud. The ground shook. They certainly did bust the block. And then silver jets were lit as well. Plastic cylinders with wings that would spin with a huge wedding dress of fire up into the sky like angelic brides. Then, as its fuel was depleted, the silver jets went silent and returned to Earth, sometimes shattering a windshield, or if you were on alert, your skull. Ow! Mixed in as well would be the happiness fountains, or maybe cones. These were among my favorites. They sent a multicolored spray of fiery sparks and glittery burning confetti, accented by the crackle of ladyfingers, tiny firecrackers. The entire street became a living canvas that infected every sense. It was a wild display of noise, fire, fairy lights, burning aromas, and earthquakes beneath our feet. And this was not the fourth yet. This was all dress rehearsals. We would all sit on the stoops and watch with delight. No one ever called the cops because, well, this was not some inconvenience or nuisance. It was a rare form of entertainment in those days, before cell phones, cable TV, or video games. And we all had perfect seats. When July 4th came, it was the epitome of crazy 80s Christmas in July. My parents always hosted a barbecue in our backyard. I had love family gatherings, even, even without the fireworks. July 4th was always one of my favorite days. My cousin Joe and his gang, my Auntie Anne, Uncle Danny, cousin Rocky and Marion, sometimes Ralph would come too, and sometimes he preferred to be alone. Then Uncle Joe and Aunt Nina and my cousins Dave and Lisa and Jen. So as burgers and dogs and Italian sausage burned and were devoured, the clock ticked closer and closer to darkness. Being summer, days where the sun stays up late, I would begin to grow anxious. And I wasn't alone. Those first pops and whistles, lit off by guys just as impatient as me, would begin even when the sky was still glowing with dusk. In the 70s, I was too young to buy and shoot off my own fireworks. I was just anxious to move the party to the street where we'd sit on the stoop and watch the explosive battle of the bands and East Harlem. That is kind of what it was. 118th Street was competing with Pleasant Avenue and Pleasant Avenue was competing with 116 and 116 was trying to beat 114. From sunset to 2 in the morning, East Harlem was alive with fire, with booms and bangs. Smoke hung in the air and would fray and scatter the colored lights. The sky was alive with rockets, glittering lights, cluster bees, butterflies snow and plums. The ground exploded with hundreds and hundreds of mats, each with thousands and thousands of firecrackers, hundreds of M80s, grosses of silver jets, cones spraying hot glitter, jumping jacks, hundred-shot fiery skylights, aerial bombs, mini ones which launched ash can or cherry bomb explosives to roof height, while the big ones launched M80s a hundred feet in the air, cracking the night like thunder. There were whistling chasers, which at the time had a very tasteless other name, 
Roman candles firing balls of burning white, festival balls launching mini versions of the Macy's mortars, and on 114th Street, giant mortars will whip that rival the Gruchis. On Pleasant Avenue one year, they set off actual sticks of dynamite. It was like an insane asylum on happy pills. Joyous insanity. I will never forget my first brick. Now a brick was a pack of 80 packs of firecrackers and it was packaged in red paper with a label that made it look like a single pack of firecrackers. My Aunt Dee Dee, who kind of nicknamed me Mikey Boom Boom when the fourth came around, bought it for me and I was in heaven. I would make these firecrackers last. I rarely let them off a pack at a time. No, they, they were separated so that each of the 20 crackers in the pack could be savored. Plastic army jeeps would be blown up. I would put one in a pile of dog poop, which prior to the poop scoop laws were pretty easy to find. And when the fuse was away, you had the best version of the game of chicken ever. Yeah! Or the firecrackers would be unwrapped and the gunpowder piled on my stoop. And with the fuse, I'd create a genie. The fun never ended. my teens, I joined the elite handful of the contributors of the show. My cousin Joe, my friend Joe, Scott, we would pool our resources and buy loads of fireworks from McGurk. We had so many fireworks one year, we had to carry them from Joe's house in huge plastic garbage bags, and we each took different paths to my block in case one of us were busted by the cops. My parents, especially my dad, hated this, and he kind of lived in the fear I would blow my eyes out. Now, we almost did on numerous occasions, and looking back, Sometimes the dangers were hilarious. My cousin Joe wants a little bottle rocket off the top step of my stoop. I was on the sidewalk lighting another in a bottle. His honed in on my upper arm and exploded, resulting in a nice pussy wound. Joe again, showing his genius with the explosives, dropped a Roman candle on my front gate, sending fireball after fireball into the doorway of my building. Trouble was, my dad was attempting to exit the building, and like a soldier on the shores of Normandy, he had a duck and weave around the incoming rounds. Let's say Joe was chewed a new one after that one. And it was poor Scott. We were deep into the firefight that July 4th. The street was littered with spent rounds. Scott placed yet another happiness fountain down on the macadam and lit the fuse. He jumped back and waited. Nothing. He waited. Nothing. Then the tragic error. He leaned back over to see if the fuse was lit. This was not exactly his most shining moment as an intellectual. The thing exploded in his face. It slipped into slow motion for me so I can only imagine what the poor guy was feeling. With eyebrows glowing with fire, he ran, hands over eyes, into Joe's house, and inside splashed water on his face. We all held our breaths. He was one lucky SOB. Aside from a few facial burns and the temporary loss of his eyelashes and brows, his eyes were not touched. Hey, you know, I, I, never, I never said this stuff was safe, but man, it was fun. Great stories are born from danger. It's a simple fact. Now, the morning of July 5th was another special day, especially in the 70s. Me, Chris, and Scott would get up early and step out to the curb. Now, this is no exaggeration when I say the firecracker paper was up to the curb. You could walk through it up to your ankles like leaves in autumn. The mission? Collect all the firecrackers that never went off. And there were tons of them. Most didn't have fuses, but pfft, pshaw, who cares? We had plans. 
Yeah, we had plans. We would often on occasion discover a fountain or rocket or silver jet that had not fired. That was just more material for our July 5th masterpieces. We would gather up a few of the used aerial bomb tubes, sit on the stoop, and begin unraveling the paper wrappers from whatever firecrackers we found and pour the powder into the tubes. Next layer, will firecrackers be broken half? Also, whatever special innards of other works that were left unshot on the street. A fuse was placed in the old fuse hole at the bottom of the tube, and this was placed in the street and lit. With a blast of fire, the half-crackers would fly skyward, igniting and sizzling with spouts of sparks, spinning in the air. Sizzlers. That's what we call these homemade beauties. Collecting the remains of the previous days and building sizzlers kept us occupied for hours on July 5th. Hey, we were inventive, creative, and crazy, and on occasion, scarred. I still thank my parents for giving me the breathing room to play. Play is no fun if it's too safe. Yeah, I miss those July 4ths, the family gatherings for the barbecue, and sparking my imagination and burning my fingers on the stoops of Atlantis. When the Führer says, we is the master race, we hire, hire, right in the Führer's face, not to love the Führer, is a great disgrace, so we hire, hire, right in the Führer's face. This has been The Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.